studying your word, learning more about you in preparation for our time of worship. And we thank you, even though we haven't discussed it yet, that you are a God whose grace to us is transforming. It's transformative. It doesn't leave us the same. And we thank you that this ministry of your word by your spirit continues on throughout the entirety of our Christian experience in lives. And we thank you that in a certain sense, even throughout eternity, you will be transforming us, not from sin to holiness, but from degrees of understanding your glory to greater degrees of understanding your glory. So thank you for your transforming grace and bless us in this class and may it make us worshipers. May we, may we all consider the so what of this wonderful truth today. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, um, hey, great to see Scott. Um, we don't get to see Scott, there he is. Um, we were privileged, Diane and I, to go over to Louisville and pick uh, Scott and Christine up at the airport. You know, during this time where he's employed in Houston and yet uh, so loves his wife and his extended family, and they're so, this couple is madly in love with each other. I'm just going to tell you that. I, I've gotten to know they're madly in love with each other. And um, Christine has been down in Texas just trying to be with Scott as much as possible and with her daughter who just gave birth to a, another grandchild for them. But anyway, um, I love this couple, and we had, a, we had a great time with them the other day. <laughs> and it's nice to have you in the class, Scott. So um, let's uh, let me just uh, jump into this. Uh, I said the first thing I want to do today is to put our subject in in a kind of thirty thousand foot high level perspective. I want to remind all of you of what we sometimes call the lay of the land. How does this chapter that we're in today, on page starting on page forty-seven? How does it relate to what we have been studying? Once more, I'm not going to always do this, but would you go back to the page, Roman numeral page 9 in your book? It's, um, it's literally the first, first page under contents. So I'm just wanting you to see again that we are studying now the doctrine of the word. All systematic theologies have broad categories under which there are very specific teachings. And virtually every systematic theology that seminarians read, no matter what seminary you go to, no matter who the author is, begins with the doctrine of the word. But when we study what the Bible says about the Bible, we, we discover that the Bible tells us that it's inspired. And that it's absolutely without error. And that it's authoritative and that it's sufficient for all that we'll ever need in the Christian life and for salvation. And that it's clear. Not clear in the sense that everything is easy to understand, but clear in the sense that the average human being who understands the language by which uh, the message is being proclaimed or the language in which the Bible is translated can understand it. The average, and that's what Tim opened up so helpfully and in such an encouraging way last week. You don't have to be a profound theologian to understand the gospel and to understand even some of the deep things of God. 
Nobody has a full grasp of it. And that's why I prayed. Throughout eternity, we will be coming to enlarged views of the glory of God by understanding more and more, and we'll never, it'll never come to an end because God is infinite in his glory, and therefore uh, anything that's infinite is boundless, and it means there's no limit and there's no end. So we're always going to be seeing this. But there we'll, uh, we'll have renewed minds and we'll understand better, but we're not going to have omniscience. You know that. The, the day you're glorified, you're not going to have omniscience. You're not going to have omnipresence, and you're not going to have omnipotence. Those are not communicable attributes. Those are incommunicable attributes. But you are going to have a, a better mind with which to understand the Word of God. So these things, and I didn't, well, so clarity and then transformative power. I was going to draw my illustration, not going to do it. Some of you maybe haven't seen it, and there's nothing great about it. But remember the tree, and if you see the big tree here, the trunk says inspiration, and then out of that tree grow these wonderful truths about the Word of God. Because the Bible is supernaturally inspired by God, it's truthful, it's authoritative, it's sufficient, it's clear. And as we're going to see today, it's life-transforming. So there's where we are, okay? That's, the, that's looking at the lay of the land, where we are. And next Sunday, we will conclude the doctrine of the word um, by considering the canonicity of the Bible. Um, which books really should be in the Bible? How do we know they're not all the ones we should have have are not in there? Is it possible there's some books in the Bible that shouldn't be in there? We're going to wrestle with that. And of course, we'll come to, a, I think, a very comfortable conclusion that what we have in our Bible is exactly and only what God wanted in our Bible. But that's all to be understood in the light of canonicity. So we're going to talk about what the canon is, and it's not something that, that you know, by dynamite sends big, heavy iron balls out the end of it. Okay? All right, so that's, that's number one. That's out of the way. Number two, I want to just quickly explain to you the concept of transformative power. You see, it's called the transformative power of God. Now, you've got a wonderful definition right at the very top under summary. Always read your summaries. The, the transformative power of Scripture is the multifaceted effect. The transformative power of Scripture is the effect, the change, the transformation that God, its author, brings about through his word. So <clears throat> what, um, what I want you to grasp there, I, I just sort of underlined to me what are the key words. The transformative power of scripture is the effect that God brings about through his word. It, it is that power from God through the preaching, teaching, and reading of the Bible that changes us, transforms us. That's what the transformative power of God is. And it's so important that we understand that this transformative power of God happens through his word by his spirit. Through his word by his spirit. God changes us through his word, by his spirit, and particularly the, the Holy Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity. 
So we're going to kind of see that there's a cause and there's an effect. Let me just put that up for a second. There's a cause and effect relationship. Okay. And that cause and effect relationship is mysterious. Didn't, didn't we agree together that just the inspiration of the scriptures, the way we define it, God using ordinary men, writing what he wants them to say through their personality, through their style, and yet so superintending the process that when Paul's in prison, he's not sitting there saying, okay, God, what, what next? Okay, what next? Paul's pouring out his heart to the Christians in Philippi from a prison cell. But in the process, he's saying exactly what God wants him to say. God is leading him. It's not like he feels something coming over him and he's shaking and he can hardly write because he knows God's doing something in him. But he might as well be shaking because he is doing something in, in him. There's a mystery there. Paul's brain was working while he was writing. He was thinking. But he was thinking and writing exactly what God wanted him to say. Now, if, that, if you don't see a certain level of mystery in that, then um, you need to think more about it. How does that work? We don't know how that works. It's a mystery. It's, to use a technical word, it's a synergism. Two things coming together and working together, but it's a cause and effect relationship. So when we come to this issue, hey guys, um, congratulations on the great win yesterday. Nebraska has won their first game. They got a great coach. He may be a Christian. He's very encouraging. Get back on the subject, Ted. There is this mystery that goes on in the transformative work of God through the scriptures. Right now it's happening in this room. You just don't maybe realize it. But your thinking is going to be altered, which will have some effect on your life. And you're going to say, you know, I remember when we went through that class, that, that really meant something, that did something in my life. It didn't just change my thinking, it changed my living. How does that happen? We don't know. We just know that God, particularly the Holy Spirit, blesses when he chooses to, now let's be careful about that, not everybody who hears the Bible preached or everybody who reads the Bible suddenly gets saved and something happens. It's only if God the Holy Spirit sovereignly anoints it and uses it. But when he does, you may feel God is really speaking to my heart. You may not feel it. You may go home and say, i got to do some changing. And you'll change. And there's a mystery. It's God using... So here's where the mystery comes in. The mystery comes in right here. 
Is that how you spell mystery? M I S T or how do you spell mystery? That's how we spell mystery. M I S mystery. That's something God never does. He never has a mystery. M I S T E R Y. Okay. See now, if I didn't come up with that, M Y S T E R Y. E R Y. Yes. Huh? T E R Y. M Y S T E R Y. Right. If I didn't come up with that. My sweet wife was a Ted, you surely know how to spell mystery. <laughs> and that's how sweetly she would say it. And then she would say, but baby, I love you anyway. <laughs> and then she'd come and give me a kiss. Too much information, right? And you're and you got the audacity to record this stuff? Yeah, I do. <laughs> I do. It's fun, and there are people that want to listen to it next week and, and hopefully they won't be offended by it. Here's where the mystery comes in. God is doing something. This is God. And this is us. And as his word is preached, taught, or read, when he so chooses, and he almost always so chooses when God's people preach or teach or read his word with sincerity, something happens. There's a synergism going on. So now, the, the great things that, that God has done with his word that surely have to be called transformative um, are creation and the new birth well creation and sustaining the the universe and the new birth and providence and then the list goes on and on but those are the great things that God does and our author calls this something interesting and I think uh, I think it's good terminology. So let's let's uh, this this uh, one's not good. Let's think of of it as well, I'm going to go back to my purple. Let's think of it as what he calls speech act. I have to admit to you that honestly, I really wasn't familiar with that particular expression until I read my chapter this week. I mean, I knew that God works through his word and only through his word. I knew that. I knew there was power in the word of God. But Dr. Allison wants us to think of it in terms of a speak act. It's an act that, that comes about because he has spoken. It's a speak act. Which is the first one that comes to your mind? Surely it's creation. I went through my Bible, and you know the language that I'm going to save a little time here. You know how it says... And God said, what's the first thing he said? Let there be light. And then what's, then what's the, the rest of the verse say? And there was light. And God said, and there was. And God said, and there was. And God said, and there was. Seven or nine times. Because some of them are double. But it's, even though there were only you know, six days of actual creation. And God said, and there was. That is a speak act. I mean, what else would you call it? God said, and there was. It's an act that is rooted in God speaking. And the same thing is true with regard to our uh, conversions. By the way, let me just uh, let's quickly look at uh, Psalm 
33.6 and Hebrews 11.3. Somebody get ready. Everybody look first at um, Psalm 33. And as soon as you have it, uh, think most people have it. Go ahead and read that verse. And then we'll quickly turn, if you want to, to Hebrews 11.3 at the same time. And someone else is going to read that. Okay, who will read Psalm 33.6? Nice and loudly. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. And by the breath of his mouth, all their hosts. Okay, I just wanted that because that, that's affirming what we're saying about creation. By the word of his mouth, the heavens were made. Okay? Um, Hebrews 11.3, please. By faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. Okay, just once again the front part of the verse. By faith, by faith we understand... We understand that the world were prepared by the word of God. Okay, the worlds were prepared by the word of God. The worlds were prepared by the word of God. And it is true that we only understand that by faith. If you don't believe that, you believe in evolution. But we're creationists. How did he do it? I don't know. He did it with his divinity. He spoke... He willed it, and it happened because he's omnipotent. So there are these speak acts, and they don't just pertain to the creation of the universe. They pertain to our new birth. So I want you again to turn in your Bibles quickly to James if you're still, yeah, James 1 and verse 18. And then we're going to quickly look at 2 Corinthians 4, 6. James 1, 18. Someone read that for me, please. In the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, so that we would become <coughs> of the fruit, first fruits among his creatures. Okay. The last part of the verse tells us why he did it, but the first part of the verse tells us what he did. And you see the sovereignty of God there by his own will. It's a good thing he had a will to save us because we didn't have a will to save us and we couldn't be, even if we did have a will to save us, we couldn't. But we didn't have a will to save us. But in his own will, he brought us forth. That's an expression of the new birth. What was his instrument? By the word of truth. What was his purpose in bringing us forth? That we should be a kind of first fruits in his creation. That's the effect. The cause is God, the instrument is his word, the result is a new creation. So, in particular, that we'd be the first fruits of his creation. So those are a couple of passages right there that make it very clearly, make it very clear what a speak act is. So, you see the the synergism in it and we can we can go on and maybe we'll talk later about more of the things that God does through his word but in just a second I want everybody just to kind of come up and stand there and I'll stand here and it just will go one at a time and then you can walk back around but just before these brothers and sisters come up here's the deal because the word of God is supernaturally inspired in addition to it being all of the things that we've already considered, without error, authoritative, sufficient for everything we could possibly need, 
clear in addition to those things because God <coughs> is the author of this word. He has chosen to use it to change people. And when he uses it to change people, it was a speech, a speech act. It was his speech recorded in this book, which we call the Bible, which contains the gospel and which tells us the truth about who we are by nature and what we desperately need through grace that the Holy Spirit used to break our hearts for sin, to show us our need of a Savior, and to actually bring us to that Savior by faith to receive his perfect righteousness and forgiveness of all of our sins and to start living a new life. And for us, it was a life-transforming experience, okay? So let me just say this. This is sort of like what I was trying to preach last Sunday. If your life hasn't been transformed in some radical way, in some identifiable way, and I don't mean everybody has to have a radical Damascus Road experience, okay? But the fruit of however subtly you were converted through regeneration ends up being radical. The fruit of it is radical. So if you haven't had a life-transformative experience with the Holy Spirit through the Word of God, you're not a Christian yet. And we love you. And we don't look down on you. And we want to pray for you. And we want you to experience that. And one thing you could do, this is sort of jumping to the way in, but so what, is right now in this class, any of you who aren't sure about your actual new birth could say, and nobody will know but God and you, maybe the devil gets to know this. I don't know if he gets to know this, but if he does, he doesn't like it. And you pray, God, I need to be transformed by your word. And I know that only you through the Holy Spirit can do it. Please, please transform me. Cause me to be born again. And someday your testimony will be, I got saved in a systematic theology class. <laughs> Under studying the doctrine of the word and hearing crazy stuff like the word synergism. I thought I, was, I knew what a sinner I was, but this isn't S-I-N-N-E-R. He was talking about S-Y-N-N-E-R. Two things working together. Okay? So, brothers and sisters, uh, would you come up? And here's the order that I think we'll, we'll do this. And everybody's going to turn to the passage you're reading, okay? So get ready to turn quickly in your Bible. And I'd like to hear from the Burns first, the Stutzman second, the Harles third, the Owens fourth, and the Lacourse fifth. So if you'll just line up over here right now, then we just go boom, 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 boom. And uh, stick to your 60-second, and hopefully this will only last 10 minutes. But <clears throat> this is not a waste of time, because guess what? We're going to look at all these passages of Scripture, and we're going to hear from people who say, yeah, that's, that's exactly what, what happened in my life. So be sure you announce your text and give everybody just a second to look, look at your text. I can tell you this, that the Burns are going to both speak from Psalm 19. Please turn to Psalm 19. Okay, and let's enjoy uh, their testimony on this. Okay, Jim. Wait a minute, I need my cup of coffee. Oh. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Yes, sir. All right. Okay, the, there were two that I that I chose, and it was um, Psalm 19, 7b and 8b. 
And 7b says, the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. And 8b says, the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. And how, that, how I think of that and what it, what it calls to mind with me is um, actually when I read the Bible for the first time in my life. And Elizabeth had bought me a Bible, and I was in my truck spending the night, and I pulled it out. And I started with Matthew. It was the first book of the New Testament. And I got so engulfed in it, I think I read 16 chapters before I went to bed. But in, in Matthew 5, after the Beatitudes, when he started the, you have heard it said. You have heard it said you shall not murder. You have heard it said you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, anyone who looks at a woman with lust has committed... He opened my eyes for the first time in my life to see that it was more than just external acts. Because I grew up in the world, I grew up with a Catholic background, and it was just based on externals. So I thought, well, as long as you don't, you can look, but you can't touch. That's what the world says. That's what I believed. I saw no sin in that. And that very first night when I read that, I remember thinking, either I need to throw this Bible out, it's a joke, or I'm in big trouble. And that was the work of the transforming power of the word, even then subtly, because I think it was over a year probably before I was converted. But I was already affected at that very moment. Amen. So. Amen. Oh, this one. Okay, like Pastor Ted said, we're in Psalm 19. Um, the law, this is verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. And um, that verse uh, has meant a lot to me in my life. I have two other verses. I'll just turn to them real quickly. When I was first converted, um, my home was very broken, and especially I didn't have a, a strong father in my life. So restoring my soul, I know that can be salvific, of course, but when I read it now, I also think about restoring my soul regularly. And I, my mind immediately went to um, Romans 8.15, which says, For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. And I remember like Jim, when I was first saved 14 or 15 years old, what it meant to me to be able to call God my Abba, Father, and how that just restored my thinking about who God was. And then um, the second verse is more from a um, when I sin. And we just went over this verse recently with Mark in... Um, 1 John 3, uh, verse 8 says, The one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. And it just, when I read that repeatedly, um, when I have sinned in my life, it just realigns my thinking and restores my faith in God's goodness to have, have um, forgiven me. And one other thing that I think about the word, um, I often hug my Bible when I'm praying. Um, like it's a physical presence of God to me. Yeah. So, anyway. <laughs> All right, so the passage that uh, that I picked out was Hebrews uh, 4.12. Um, this verse is very hard to convince in what it means to me in 60 seconds, but I'll, I'll try and do a, a quick Cliff Notes version. Uh, For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So just that first, the, for the word of God is living. The word of God is living. It's not just binder to binder, words on a page. You can be a mathematician, a scientist. You, know, you can be the smartest person in your professional field. 
but those works, those words are not living. Mm-hmm. If you drill down further, sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and spirit. You can read this same passage years apart, and God will reveal stuff inside of you that is completely new, and it continually grows. So that the Word of God is for me and my in my walk with Christ, and uh, it's it's just been so enlightening, and it, you you learn more and more and we're never going to know even the extent this is this is a cliff note version of god so this is what we have and what god has has blessed us with but we can't even comprehend all of this let alone what he is so and i chose um second timothy 3 16 All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. And when I read this, what comes to mind is my kids, because this is through studying, parenting, through different books like Shepherding a Child's Heart and things like that. You see this scripture used in a great way because no matter what they're going through in their little hearts, you can use the word of God. And so I find myself through the days, just drawing them to these scriptures. <laughs> and then what I find is, as I'm telling them, we use self-control with our voice, it convicts me. And when I'm telling them, hey, there are, there's one whose words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing, it convicts me. And whenever we get into the word of God and we see that it's not just about for a two-year-old, it might look like whacking somebody over the head when they don't get their way. And for me, maybe most days, it doesn't look like that. Um, no, it doesn't look like that. But, um, you know, it, the Word of God, the teaching that it gives us, is so deep at the heart level that it applies to the youngest. Like you were saying, like you don't have to be the smartest person in the world. A child can understand this. And I can understand it. And so that's just, I I love that verse because it encourages me. As I'm teaching the kids at home, um, God teaches me. Amen. The the verse I'm going to read, it's Psalm 107.20. He sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. And that is so what happened in my life. Uh, The Bible was not a part of my life at all. I did have a children's Bible with pictures, and that's it. And it was actually uh, Pastor Ted and Pastor Keith. They used the word and preached the gospel to me. And I was so lost. Um, I was going down the path of destruction and so empty. You don't even know... I was almost 40 years old, so I uh, tried everything in the empty destruction and pretty much leaving things in my path. Um, they brought the word that Christ truly can save sinners, and uh, he redeemed my soul from destruction. So, And that was by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So. And that was mostly at Texas Gas at a Bible study that Pastor Keith and I were privileged to lead for a number of years. Yes. Yeah. Ron? Okay. Um, my passage is uh, from uh, Jeremiah 29, uh, 23, 29. 
And it says, uh, Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that shatters the rock. As soon as I read that, it sounds to me like it was written about me because I was a hard-headed sinner. I was a, a works-oriented I was going to save myself, mm-hmm. and uh, I had to be broken first. And I, and I wrote down the two-edged sword wouldn't have done me any good because it couldn't have penetrated the rock there. Uh, it, it, I sat under the teaching here for, oh, I don't know, 15 years before it had any effect on me. And it, and it says right here, it says, though the immediate effect may not be seen, Scripture, when read or heard, always realizes the aim for which God made it. And that was what affected me, is uh, what I heard, what I saw, uh, the prayer for my wife, from all y'all. And uh, without that, and, and, and also I, I just thought, the fire and the hammer, you think of that as being destructive at times, shattering things and, 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 and burning away the dross. And I thought even after the, the destruction part of it's done, the fire will warm you. The hammer in a right hand of a carpenter will create something. And uh, I'm living proof that uh, if anybody can be saved, uh, I can, you know. Okay, my scripture is Romans 10, 17. Uh, Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Um, This was one of the very first scriptures that I memorized as a new Christian, which was like 46 years ago, because it summed up how I'd gotten saved and how I was going to grow in the Lord. And, you know, we can't produce faith in ourselves, but spending time with God in his word brings about faith. And so in my pilgrimage, 46 years, there have been a lot of situations that I've needed faith. And um, just one example is right now, um, uh, adult wayward children. And, um, the, the, well, I think we're going to go through um, Isaiah 55, 11 and 12 as the rain and the snow come down from heaven. It gives this really good earthly scenario of what happens uh, when it rains and snows and that conjures up a picture in my mind you know when I see it raining outside and it's dark and it's dismal and there's it doesn't look like there's any life but I know that as that's going to produce life in the spring um, that's how God's work it, it goes forth from his mouth and it accomplishes his purpose and so uh, when I think about my kids, I think about all of the times that the word of God, the truth, the gospel has been before them. They've grown up in a Christian home. They've been here at church 18 years of their lives. They went through Christian school. They've been through retreats. And it gives me faith to believe that God accomplishes what he wants to through his word. You know, as he speaks creation into being, you know, he shines in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. And it gives me faith to believe that that can happen in their lives. So, you know, that has transformed the way that I look at different situations that are going on. That doesn't come from me. 
that comes from the power of God in his word that has transformed me. First Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 13. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. Uh, I did, ha- did have a Damascus Road salvation experience. I was born again on January the 2nd, 1977, at 12 noon, traveling east out of Lawrenceville, Illinois, going to Vincennes, Indiana, in a Volkswagen. <laughs> and uh, I was with my girlfriend, whom I was living with at the time. The Holy Spirit entered my heart, and I intuitively knew that it was the Word of God, and I wanted to read it. And so the only Bible I had was a black leather zipper Bible that had my name embossed on it, King James Version, that my grandparents had given me when I was eight. I went home and got that out and started reading it. And a couple things immediately happened. Joy filled my heart. Uh, I could not contain it. And I wanted to tell everybody that Jesus was alive. That's all I said. It's real. Jesus is alive. I just couldn't keep, keep, keep telling people that. And, uh, and then I left uh, my apartment and moved back home with my parents because I knew that was a wrong situation to live in. Uh, and, the, and the other thing that I'd like to say that really exploded in my heart was that Jesus is coming back again. Yeah. I mean, the reality that we are looking forward to Jesus' return has been something that has been constant in my walk with the Lord for over 40 years now. And I thank God that his word confirms that in almost every letter in the New Testament. Amen. Uh, my verse is 1 Peter 1.23. For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is through the living and enduring word of God. This verse, like the others, some of the others, that is uh, very you know important to me, and I read soon after being a Christian, uh, diving into the Word and becoming more familiar and with uh, my God and who He was and and what He had done in my life up until this point, you know, of coming to know the Lord, I worshipped myself in most everything that I did. Um, I didn't think of others so much at all. I thought only of myself and the things that I chose to do. And until it was revealed to me that. I was that there was such a thing as sin that that caused eternal death um, that there was a God who who offered his son for for my salvation until I understood that until I heard that preached to me you know the road as all of us have had leading up until that point is rough and I you know it would take a much longer than 60 seconds to go through you know, all the terrible things that I've done, but leading up to that point, God was telling me some things and through people in, in the word that they were preaching to me. And so through the inspiration of God and his word being preached into my life, even by a Spanish preacher living next door to us in Puerto Rico, I came to know who Christ was and what I wasn't. 
And what I was living for was perishable. I was living for everything in my life was perishable and garbage. And I get to read this anew all the time because I put value sometimes in the things that are perishable. And I lose sight of the things that are imperishable. And it causes anxiety and stress. So I thank you for this verse this morning. It was helpful to remember again as a new Christian what the power of the word can do in our lives to not only bring us to salvation, but to help us to endure and the tribulations that come after salvation. His word is living and endures forever. It's permanent. I'm not a good communicator. Therefore, I wrote mine down. So bear with me as I read to you. <laughs> My verse was 1 Peter 2, 2. Like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the word, so that you may grow up into salvation. I can certainly testify to the fact that God's word has transformative power. Before God called me out of darkness, I had no desire for God's word. I actually was annoyed by it. And little did I know, or um, and the little parts that I did know of it, um, I ignored or just completely scoffed at, thinking that I knew better and how old-fashioned the people were that believed in it. Once God opened my eyes, I actually began to long for God's word. I wanted to read it. I wanted to know more about him. And as I read, I realized that most of my thinking and beliefs were so worldly, totally wrong, and mentally unhealthy. My mind being transformed and renewed through God's word was and is so freeing and comforting to me. I am a brand new creation, almost unrecognizable to some, because of the transforming power of God's Word. Well, I want to thank um, each of you for sharing. It was exactly what um, I was sure would be a blessing to all of us. In a sense, you guys have, by just commenting and testifying and showing the relationship in your life to the Word of God, who got into your life through it, just taught the class. And it's a beautiful thing just to hear your testimonies. And and these brothers and sisters just touched the tip of the iceberg as far as the power of the Word of God in our lives. And Carla is right. I wanted us to turn into our Bibles to Isaiah 55 for just a moment. I'm going to have to uh, work hard here at bringing this class to an end. Isaiah 55, 10 and 11. I love 8 and 9 and wish I could just talk about that for a minute, but uh, I can't. That that has to do with the um, immensity and the glory of God, which is always transcendent and beyond us. 
just always remember if you can understand God and why God does things, you wouldn't need God. You wouldn't need God because you would have a mind equal to his. But with regard to his word, please notice verse 10. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so, except just using a, an illustration, this is just an illustration, there's an analogy here, Something comes down from heaven and has an effect. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Just a brief comment first before I say something real positive about this verse be careful about quoting this verse every time you hear somebody preach and say well here's the here's my comfort God's word never returns to him avoid that's true if that's only true if it's not just always true it's only true if according to this passage if God himself has a purpose. That's what we've seen in the latter part of verse 11. But it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. That's what explains how people can sit under hundreds of sermons and be unchanged. Didn't change them, did it? Well, what's, what do you conclude from that? That God couldn't use it? That he didn't have power to use it to bring him to life? If you conclude that, you know, that man's will is stronger than God's will, you conclude that, then you really don't have much of a God to worship. Or you might conclude that God simply passed over people, and he has every right to do that. He could pass over the entire entirety of humanity and send us all to hell, and he would still be perfectly just. That's right. He owes salvation to no one. And when God sends his word, he has a specific purpose that will always be accomplished. But don't go away from this verse thinking that every time the word of God is preached, there's going to be something great happening. There's going to be something that happens. Maybe not. Jesus spoke to crowds of people and many times nothing happened. So, under, But when God has a purpose, it's going to happen. Yeah. It, it'll be a speech act. Because omnipotence is behind the speech. And omnipotence brings about the desired result, always. So that's that's pretty much what the transformative grace of God is is all about. Now I just want to read to you a couple of quotes. You know, we don't we don't understand how it works. We we're all in agreement with that. Here's what we do understand: we understand that we don't understand how it works. <laughs> and we don't have to understand how it works. We just have to understand that it works. And so there's a mystery. And my mind went today, as late as just driving to church, to an old hymn that we used to sing. I know not why God's wondrous grace to me he hath made known, nor why unworthy 
Christ in love redeemed me for his own. Verse 2. Now listen to this. I know not how this saving faith to me he did impart. I could stop the writer and say, are you sure he imparted? Yeah, I'm sure about that. I'm totally sure about that. I didn't have any faith in me. It's just like these testimonies. I was dead in my trespassing sins. I don't have a faith just waiting that needs to be exercised. I don't have a faith. No, it came from God. I'm sure about that. Here's what I don't know, says the author. I don't know how this saving faith to me he did impart. I know he did it through the word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. I know that's the instrument. I know he did it. But you're asking me, how did he do that mysterious thing? And, and we'd all be fools to say, well, I know how he did it. No, we don't know how he did it, but he does it. That's the supernatural, mysterious dimension of this synergistic work of God where he, through the scriptures, brings things to life and changes things. So that's one thing. Then I wanted to quickly quote for you from our confession of faith. Tim quoted from it last week. We'll quote from it frequently. Under the doctrine of Scripture, it says, The whole counsel of God concerning everything essential for his own glory and man's salvation, faith, and life is either explicitly stated or by necessary inference contained in the Holy Scriptures. Nothing is ever to be added to the Scriptures, either by new revelation of the Spirit or by human traditions. We all believe in that. Um, that's, that's called the sufficiency of Scripture. But now listen, in the same paragraph, the writers went on to say this. Nevertheless, we acknowledge that the inward illumination of the Spirit of God is necessary for a saving understanding of what is revealed in the Word. I'll, re- I'll reread that. We acknowledge that the inward illumination of the Spirit. Anybody fully understand what the inward illumination of the Holy Spirit is? No? Huh? It's illuminating. It's illuminating and it's something that he does in us. And it's it's he who does it. So we acknowledge that that illumination is necessary for a saving understanding of what is revealed in the Word of God. Now he's talking particularly there about coming to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, but it's it's a subpoint of the transformative power of God through His Word. In this case, it's through becoming a true believer, getting truly converted. One more quote, and then we're going to conclude with a couple of so what's. Yeah, do you have a comment? Yeah, yeah real Eric? quick. Uh, sure, absolutely. But Jim has some marks here. Creed, the rock group, late '90s, early 2000s, right? Yes. Yeah, <clears throat> so they had the biggest rock group at that time. Real life, and uh, they uh, had a lead singer who was raised in an evangelical home. Who's this rock group again? Uh, Creed. Okay. Was it? Scott Stapps. <clears throat> and um, he was obviously living a lifestyle of sex, drugs, and rock and roll. But when he sat down to write all of their songs, scripture was permeating his whole soul. So wow. they were kind of accused of being a Christian group, even though he wasn't a Christian. So it's in there from his childhood, like uh, Carl. Carla was saying 
but it hasn't been illuminated yet. Maybe yes. it has since yeah, then. Yeah, yeah. But at that time, it hadn't been illuminated. But he grew up with scripture. Yeah. And so when he wrote a song, which is like poetry, he would weave scripture in there, um, even though he wasn't saved. And he never did get I don't know. I, I don't yes. know. Does anybody know? Yes. He, he's actually just recently. He's on his own now. Yeah. He's 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 out on his own. He's now. converted. Oh yeah, and, and well, he was then too. I, I'm pretty sure. Okay. But he okay. he now they they did officially at that time kind of steer away from that. They didn't want to be known as that, you know. But now recently he is he is very forthright about it and said that yes, you yeah, know, they were Christian. Well, I think the point that Eric is reinforcing here is that the word can lie dormant for God's chosen period of time, just like you can plant seeds that will never germinate until they are watered. But when they're watered, they germinate. And God does plant the seed of his word in us. Faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God. That's the instrument. And then when we hear it with a saving understanding, guess what? Our lives change. Hence the word transformative. Transformative. So the last quote I want to give you comes from a wonderful book that our community group leaders went through. We go through some some training um, every year. We're going through another book right now written by Ed Welch. This book is called The The Word-Centered Church. And in this chapter, which is actually chapter one, he talks about the very subject we're talking about, but he makes this point. God's word is an extension of himself. Our author said something similar to that in the very beginning. He said, God sustains the closest possible relationship to his word. God sustains, he keeps, the closest possible relationship to his word. And so our friend Jonathan Lehman is just making this statement. God's word is an extension of himself. And then he goes on to say this, the first thing to realize is that God's word is an extension to himself. To hear his words that comprise the whole Bible is to hear him. To obey his words is to obey him. To ignore his words is to ignore him. God invests himself in his words As Timothy Ward puts it, he so identifies himself with his words that our response to his words are our response to him. So I think we just have to conclude today with the so what of this. Now, surely everybody grasped this. This is not, wow, it's it's 1018, isn't it? I've, I've got to quit. This is not rocket science stuff. We get the concept. But now, dear people, without being having time to draw you out, I just want to say this. If God's word is transformative in its power, we need to be in it and under it every chance we get. Don't be satisfied to come to church on Sunday. Get before that word every morning and now pray. Heavenly Father, use this passage to change my life first by changing my understanding 
but changing my will, changing my behavior, if it's nothing else causing me to fall more in love with you. God, change me, transform me through this word. And the other thing is know that any word you speak to an unconverted person with regard to hoping that they might someday get saved will be futile and wasted if it isn't primarily God's work. God's word is what he uses to cause people to be born again. So you may not have the best arguments talking to a professed atheist or someone else, an agnostic, whatever. Just quote the Bible. Just quote the Bible. And remember the illustration. It is the sword of the Spirit. It's not the sword of the Spirit to those who believe. It's the sword of the Spirit to those whom God chooses to make it the sword of the Spirit. That's our only hope. Okay, let me pray. Father, thank you for this subject We thank you that you are in the process of transforming our lives. And in a moment, we're going to be listening to your word preached. Transform us during the service and transform us all the way to heaven. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.